It's Wednesday, May 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Tim Hansen. Happy Wednesday, guys. Hey, hey. Thanks, Chris. Kind of like that Wednesday just shows up this early in the short week. That is my favorite part of the three-day weekend. It's not It's not the extended weekend. It's the four-day work week that it's follows. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, you're, you're back. The you're scheduling back. conflicts or, or, you know, you always kind of confuse something. It still just doesn't feel like Wednesday. It feels like Tuesday. But it's not. That's a beautiful thing. All right, we're going to talk luxury earnings, uh, a very big IPO that is coming uh, quite soon in Japan, and uh, the Clash of the Titans, uh, the latest version of Apple versus Google. But let's start with um, Michael Kors. Fourth quarter profits doubled. Uh, that was much higher than people expected. Uh, shares up a little bit this morning. Jason, what did you think of the quarter? I think it was a great quarter for him. I was really fascinated to see that the sales performed so well in Europe, of all places. I mean, Europe, you know, for everything we've heard, is is really on the on the on the ropes. You know what that is, though? What's that? That's tourism from Asia. Yeah, weakening. Yeah, yeah, weakening Euro. People getting wealthy in Asia. They travel. You know, Bank Bangkok recently became the most popular tourist destination in the world by volume, which is also explained by wealthy wealthy Asians. And I think that really that that is a testament to. Michael Kors strategy of being a lifestyle brand. You know, I mean, that's not just clothes; it's accessories that go along with it. That I think are very popular, certainly over in that uh, in that on that side of the world, and um, definitely you can see why Coach, uh, for example, is pursuing that lifestyle brand now. So they're they're being a little bit more reactionary uh, based on the success that we've seen from from other companies like Michael Kors. Uh, now, with that said, I, you know, Michael Kors to me, they're still. Enough issues there with with management, some some transparency issues, and you know setting up small little holding companies for you know that that side of the world and waiving some licensing uh, revenues to sort of it seems like they're setting up setting up management to really you have governance concerns. Than, yes, I think that's okay. it in, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. <laughs> Do you share those concerns? You know, I, I I'm not a big fan of Michael Kors. I, I think the, the stock is expensive. And I think it does have some governance issues, but I think if you can find uh, well-run companies in, in the high lux space, high luxury space, I think you know they've really bucked the, the trend of, in, in, in the retail segment, and they've they've performed really well for the last, gosh, twelve, eighteen, twenty-four months. Um, you know, downstairs at, in, in asset management, we've disclosed, for example, that that Todd's, the Italian luxury brand, has been a significant holding for a long time. Um, Burberry obviously just reported a really strong quarter. They, yep. They're coming back after some a few missteps here and there, and th- those companies are, are are plowing ahead. And it speaks to the two speed economy that's that's happening in the world right now. But you know, if you can find one, they, generally speaking, companies in that space have really high SGNA spending. They tend to be a little bit weak on governance just because they're so. Uh, they're, I guess they I guess they're kind of because, full of themselves. Because luxury frankly, brands. who has the time? Right. Um, <laughs> But but the the segment, if you can find well 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 run ones in the space, I think it's a really interesting opportunity. I, I mean, I think it's worth noting that when you look at something like a Michael Kors or a Coach, and we appear with, with stock advisors, certainly with one we've favored Coach more because of you know number one leadership. I mean, we've always been a little bit more on on board with with. I gotta say, did you Frankfurt. see did you see what they're gonna spend on their new corporate headquarters? Talk coach. about a governance oh, problem. Who's yeah. this Coach? Yeah, seven hundred fifty mil. Was yeah, that? yeah. Yep, we've been kicking that one around for a little who while need, now. Who needs a seven hundred fifty million dollar headquarters? <laughs> well, Tim, it's a, it's a lifestyle brand. It's, it's a, just good. an eccentric lifestyle. <laughs> God, I, I mean, for a company that has a reputation of being like a really responsible steward of shareholder capital, when that eight K came out, I mean, my jaw dropped. It was unbelievable. I, I I couldn't believe they were doing that. 
That is some heavy spending. You don't think they've earned the right to spend seven hundred fifty? I don't know. Have you seen their results for the last two years? No, I don't think they have. <laughs> um, looking ahead for Michael Kors, uh, maybe you tell me what you think of this. One of the lines that leaped out at me from the the basic report is that uh, for the coming fiscal year, or I guess the fiscal year that just started for Michael Kors. The company is assuming same store sales in the neighborhood of fifteen to twenty percent. Is that reasonable? That seems kind of, and by kind of, I mean insanely high. It seems. I mean, it seems robust, no doubt about that. But I mean, Tim made a good point there. It's it's a relatively expensive stock. I mean, you pay for a very cheery consensus, which is which is what you're getting with Michael Kors right now. With that said, I mean, there's still plenty of opportunity in Asia with the uh, the the growth there and in all of these what was it these these cities with with a million or more citizens. I mean, that's supposed to be 230 or so by by around 2017. So, uh, so plenty of opportunity out there. But but I think you'd have to keep in mind that yeah, you're paying up for a very uh, big headline right now, and and I don't tend to to buy into them. You know, we we're talking about this with Tiffany yesterday. Uh, you want to you want to buy these companies when they're when when they're really facing the headwinds and the stock price is showing them. Yeah, you know the thing about luxury comps though, which is a little bit different from what you normally see at Walmart or Target, is it's not just sales volume, but it's an average ticket. So if you're if you're a big luxury brand, right, and Michael Kors thinks they can push through ten percent price increases on their average ticket, then all they need is five percent volume, and you get to fifteen. I mean, it's still a big it's a big number. Um, but I, I haven't looked into the granularity of you know how old the stores are. You know, generally speaking, when stores open, that's that's their biggest boost of sales and then right. they sort of drop off a little bit and then as they mature and they figure out the inventory patterns and whatnot, year two and year three tend to be good comp years for new stores. I don't know the relative age of all their locations and whatnot, but it, it, there could be some of that effect in there. Uh, we have a big IPO coming in Japan. Suntory Holdings is set to raise f- about $4.7 billion by taking its non-alcoholic drinks business public. We were talking earlier today, Tim. I uh, when I think Suntory, I automatically... You were hoping this was the whiskey. I was hoping it was the <laughs> yeah. whiskey. I'm a little disappointed that it's not. Um, and yet, what do, you, what do you make of this? This seems like uh, certainly a good move at the outset. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's obviously a big deal. You know, this is just... I mean, the lesson for investors is, is never invest in IPOs. And the, and the reason is, why is this company going public right now? Because, because the Japanese market has been insane for three months. The right. stock prices are higher than they've... I mean, Now is the time. Now is the time to go, to go public. public. I mean, there's this huge appetite for anything, for equities in Japan um, because investors, generally speaking, are think that this deflationary cycle they've been in is going to turn inflationary, and so they want to be in things with pricing power. And what better thing with pricing power than soft drinks. I mean, you know, Coca-Cola is the poster child for pricing power over the last century, basically. So, I mean, for Suntory, they're going to raise a, a boatload of capital, and they're going to do it at a really favorable price to them. And if you read the prospectus, what do they want to do with it? They want to invest in assets outside of Japan. So it's just kind of it's a funny thing for Japanese investors. They're going to pay this premium price for and the company's strategies to get out of the Japanese market, basically. Right. Um- if you mention Coca-Cola, if you are Coke or Pepsi, uh, how how worried are you about this, that all of a sudden uh, a soft drink competitor in Japan is going to have a whole lot of money all of a sudden? I don't think they're very worried. Really? I mean, Coca-Cola is so ubiquitous, and Pepsi to a lesser degree, but, you know, I mean, Coca-Cola has locked up so many markets already that I don't think they're they're too concerned. I mean, you know, Suntory's big deal was getting Schweppes Orangina. You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> who, do, who doesn't enjoy a refreshing orange? Right. I mean, that? it's not. That's a tier. 
three, four-ish, you know, brand in, in the soft drink space. So I mean, co- those, those it's no cheer wine, right? It's no cheer wine. His point, this point makes a lot of sense. So we, you, you sort of look at that question and say, well, the money isn't everything, right? I mean, obviously that's a big hurdle, but I'm going to give you a billion dollars now. Go out and beat this. You know, competitor that spent the last fifty years building up this reputation and distribution network and all that. So it it, it obviously transcends just the finance, and I think that's that's what what people need to really think about is even after that money is there, how are they going to displace or beat? And it's not so easily uh, it's not so easily defined. Uh, the, moving off of Suntory for a second, let me because we've talked recently in this room, Tim, about the rising stock market in the U.S. and to what extent it changes the way people. Uh, think about investing or analyze stocks. Um, you, you work, um, you spend a lot of your time looking uh, at international stocks and international markets. When you look at Japan's market, which, as you said, over the last few months has just gone crazy in a, in a positive direction, does that make your job more difficult? How, how, what effect has that had on you in your sort of day-to-day life of analyzing stocks overseas? I mean, I mean the Japanese market is so expensive right now. It's, I mean, it's, it's, the valuations are insane. I mean, there are a few things here and there that look interesting, and you know, especially if. But Suntory Holdings is not one. No, of them. <laughs> no. You know, you know, we've had uh, you know a, a long-standing holding in uh, fast retailing, for example, which is the operator of Uniqlo, the uh, fast fashion concept that's big in Japan and and in, big in China and just starting to come to the U.S. And you know, I mean. That stock has gone just insane to the point where even though it's a great company and a really well-run company, they're just uh, justifying the current valuation is really difficult. Um, and I, I would say that's true throughout uh, the Japanese market, especially when you you know you look at the capital allocation history of Japanese companies. You know, basically they husband cash until they spend it dumbly, <laughs> so or stupidly. So you know these these aren't guys. Who are going to just there, there some tech- turn on fifteen to twenty percent ROICs every year because they make bad decisions with capital for a variety of reasons. Generally speaking, there are some exceptions. Um, you know, n- like Nintendo, for example. You know, just sat on money, sat on money, sat on money, and, and you know, obviously they're they're in a very bad place right now. And you see a lot of dumb acquisitions come out of Japanese companies also. Speaking of companies that sit on money, uh, let's wrap up today with Apple, uh, which is sitting on, uh, I don't know what the latest figure is, somewhere in the neighborhood of 140, $140 billion in cash on the balance sheet. Uh, CEO Tim Cook uh, at a conference, I believe this was yesterday, um, was talking about Google Glasses, and I know this may shock you. Turns out he's not a fan of Google Glasses. Uh, what? And I'm quoting here. He said, I wear glasses because I have to. I don't know a lot of people who wear them because they don't have to. The wrist is more interesting. So just more. Fueled. Can I interject one thing there? Because yeah. I saw that comment, and I was like, at the time, I was wearing sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> That's the massive market of people who wear Sunglasses. Yeah, who they wear don't glasses? Have to, who don't have to? Yeah, yeah. Um, didn't but, make any sense. To, I, didn't make any sense. Well, uh, you know, if Joe Mager were here, I think he would point out that uh, this is a CEO who's talking his own book. You know, this is yeah. just adding fuel to the fire that Apple is working on a a wearable device of some sort. Um, but uh, what did you? Th- I'll start with you, Jason. Well, what did you think of this? Because my my first reaction was. I'm not sure why Tim Cook is is swinging at a pitch in the dirt. I'm not sure why he is taking this shot at Google when 
It's like um, you're you're still technically a bigger company than Google. Well, we've seen a big sort of changing of the guard here. Where I mean, Apple was the headline darling for so long, and now they're obviously uh, witnessing their their issues. And Google's obviously making a lot of headlines here, especially with things like Google Glass. And I mean, like from the one side, I do see where he's coming from. I mean, I've seen the displays or the, the demonstrations with Google Glass, and it looks neat. The implications of that technical uh, that technology, where it could go one day. Uh, I mean, I don't wear eyeglasses. I do wear sunglasses. I don't know that I would be in the market to get glasses just to, to be able to sort of implement technology in my life. Uh, a watch, I think, faces some of the same headwinds there. Like for someone like me who has a watch, who I like my watch, and I'm not going to change it out just for technology maybe. I mean, maybe, you know, I saw the Green Lantern the other night. Maybe they need to go with a ring. I think that's probably <laughs> what it is. A ring. Screw the watch. Screw the glasses. Go with the ring. I'll bet you that's where it's at. The ring. Do either of those, uh, either of these devices? I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna go with the Green Lantern ring. I'm sure that you someone, someone. Front of your TV, I'm sure like, the NASA people are working on that. If they're if they're still employed, I don't know if we're still funding NASA anymore. But anyway, but of those two, I mean, it raises an interesting point. Of do either of those interest you? I mean, you wear a watch, but you you wear. I have a very down market digital <laughs> yeah. watch, mostly because I have young kids, and if I had a real watch, I'd probably get like oatmeal in it and come up to work. So yeah. I'm not. Um, I thought of another segment of the population that doesn't wear glasses or wears glasses even though they don't have to. NBA basketball players. Well, there you go. All, there you go. all the rage. Protection. All Big the, no, no, no. I'm talking like their fashion glasses. Big oh, glasses. yes. The fashion it's non-prescription glasses. Yes. Just glasses that they wear. That is true. Um, what was the question? Um, uh, glasses. A device or, glasses or, 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 or the glasses. Or something else. You know, be- because, de- frankly, I'm with Jason. Neither of these interest me. Yeah. yeah, it would depend on the functionality, what benefit I get from it. Like, you know, I like I wear a very small light watch because it – you know, with kids and stuff, it's important to know what time it is, when you got to get back for dinner, that sort of thing. I also run a lot, so I keep track. You know, but I don't need a fancy, you know, multifunctional watch. Right. Um, it does, doesn't improve my life that much. Glasses. And frankly, you don't want a watch that enables people to get a hold of you. Well, you know, I'm also <laughs> a, I'm a loner in that regard. I I, I don't like bringing my phone with me. Yeah. I was a, there's a point a where you time. want to be off yeah. the grid. I mean, you know, but Google Glass. You know, it depends on what what. You know, benefits they deliver. You know, there's a, there's a very interesting article about Google Labs or Google X, whatever they're calling it now. And, you know, the first incarnation of Google Glasses was like this. I, I don't know. I'm probably quoting the article wrong, but it was like glasses with these like three big wires that went down to a computer on your belt. And obviously, that's not going to take off, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> but they've refined the technology now where, you know, they're wearable, I guess. They're light. People aren't. They're still, you know, a little bit clumsy to the effect that. Nobody at the Google Day or whatever developer conference they had. Nobody was wearing the glasses, reportedly. Not even like Sergey Brin or you know. So yeah. clearly, it hasn't crossed over into being wearable on a regular basis. Um, you know, but maybe they, maybe they get it down to monocle, a monocle size, the Google monocle, <laughs> the Mister Peanut. Um, who knows? You know, but I, I you know, I, I, if there's anything I've learned over the last five ten years in the tech space, it's don't write off innovations early. Yeah. Because they, these companies are really good at iterating. They're really good at integrating feedback. They do have good novel ideas. And, you know, a product that looks like a bomb might turn out to be something really interesting. And, um, you know, but in our in the current way we of business and tech and Internet culture, it's like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> That's that company's going down. But nobody, just, nobody's you have to figure that. out what does it do to improve? Like, so, I mean, at this point in time, maybe Google Glass doesn't do anything more than I can do with my phone. Right. I mean, I just pull out my phone and take care of the same things. But that's that's the point. I mean, they need to figure out how are they going to take that technology to to make your life better, to do something that these other devices can or can't do. And, and 
they will figure that out. I mean, there's no question. That's what they do. There's definitely a market. You know, what is one of the rudest things you can do, right, is pull your phone out of your pocket and look at it while you're talking to somebody or trying to watch a game or, you know, that's not rude, but it's distracting. Yeah. You know, and if you, if you've got something on your wrist or on your finger or (laughs) on your eye and it just, you know, the phone buzzes and, you know, you look and it's a text message from your girlfriend, you're like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to get this. And if it's a text message from your mom, you're like, just, Gonna let that go. Let that go. So I mean, there there are opportunities. I think because the phone is is a, is a great device. Phone, you know, these smartphones have become awesome and, and ubiquitous, um, but they're not flawless. There's certainly room to improve. The ring and the monocle. We're giving that to you, Google and <laughs> Apple. We're giving you those ideas. Jason Moser, Tim Hanson, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.